All right. Well, I'm just going to get started because this is one of my favorite parts of the show. We have an author with us here on This Needs to Be Said. And it's never not an issue when we're talking about racism, but, of course, things happen in our world, and it puts more light on one topic than another. And today we're talking with an author of a book, and, and she's going to jump in with us just a second, Miss Wendy Sanford. She and a domestic worker that worked in her family's home became friends. And what's so tremendous about this is that the identity of privilege versus not privilege, what you can do because of the color of your skin and what you can't do, um, is one of the things that, that she definitely focused on in this book, and it comes up, and, and it almost makes you feel like every single thing that we touch could be this topic, but it really it, it depends on what, where we're focusing our attention. And this year, 2021, as well as last year, 2020, during the pandemic, we've, I feel like we've all come together and we've had to face our differences and we had to face where someone had one up over someone else. And in this case, I kind of feel like it's the same thing. So I'm excited about bringing this author to you so that you can hear her story, definitely pick up a copy of her book, and then from there make some changes in your own life where you may see that um, some fairness has not been issued to someone or see where you can extend yourself to make sure that you're not taking advantage or that you are you're being fair. And I was just reading an article on ageism, which is not what this show is about. However, everyone, there's an ism somewhere. And today we're talking about racism and friendship. Welcome to the show, Wendy. How are you? Thank you, Catherine. I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. You have such a thoughtful show. Oh, thank you so much. Your book, um, just me getting ready for this interview, I was like, I'm so glad that I get the opportunity to do this interview because this is a tough topic. And with this needs to be said, we talk about the elephants in the room. And the elephant in this mm-hmm. room is with you recognizing, you say, well, I understood my privilege. And from there, these are the things that I changed. So the first thing, I, two things I want to know right away, because in um, reading the book, it talks about an unwritten rule of domestic workers. I want to know about that. And I want to know about how you and your best friend became friends. How did y'all become friends out of her being the domestic worker and you being uh, the privileged white person? Um, those are two great questions, and I might forget one as I try to answer the other, so feel free to remind okay. me. Um, so I will. The, um, uh, there is a code uh, that doesn't get written down for how domestic workers are supposed to behave, and I learned oh. a bunch uh, through a Wellesley scholar uh, named uh, Judith Rollins, uh, who wrote a book called Between Women. She's an African-American woman, and she did um, she did interviews with white employers and black domestic workers, and then she posed as a domestic worker in several white families, and she wrote the book out of this. And so um, there's so many things in the code, but one is you can't, if you're an African-American um, domestic worker, you can't sit down in the main part of the house. You might have your own little room or in the kitchen you might sit down, but you you can't sit down and certainly not in the presence of your employer. You have to call them 
at least back in the 50s when um, Mary first came to work for my mother as a summer helper, um, you uh, you had to call your employer Mr. or Mrs., but they called you by your first name. You had to learn all about their likes and dislikes and their family and their family history. They had to pay, they paid none, no attention to yours. You had to be what um, Judith Rollins refers to as um, a likable and congenial and willing, uh, even though you were being asked to do or told to do uh, the most backbreaking and difficult work in the house. So uh, that there's that whole code. And when I first met Mary, she was 15 and I was 12. And as you said, I was the privileged white daughter. And she was, came to help my mother with, you know, all these really difficult, hard tasks. Um, and I, I used to wonder why she wouldn't sit down with me. We were eating the same breakfast. We were both eating Cheerios. And she stood uh-huh. at the counter and I sat at the kitchen table. And so the thing about memoir is that you, you live through something, you notice what you notice, then you yeah. come back later with new understanding. And now I know why she stood at the counter. Now I know why the kitchen door was always closed because my mother wanted, she wanted her servant and the kitchen to be off limits. I mean, she wanted, you know, the the main part of the house to be off limits except when Mary was cleaning. So there was, uh, that's so that's kind of your partial answer to your first question. And Uh um, the second- How did you guys become friends? Yes, yes. Yes, thank you. The longer question. I would say the whole book is about that, and I'll just say a couple of things. Um, We were friendly. She kept coming back because she did do all those things that are in the code. She was willing. She never asked like acted like they were asking too much. She uh, and so she supplemented her income from her regular job, uh, coming to help my parents in the summer. Each summer, she took her vacation time to do that. So we saw each other repeatedly just for that week. And I would say we were friendly. Uh, we were both pretty lonely out there. So I, I asked her once, how do you think we became friends? And she said, uh-huh. well, you were the only person I had to talk to. <laughs> there was no one else. So we laughed. <laughs> um, but uh, in fact, um, we were friendly. And then a couple of decades later, all of a sudden, I, we were both divorced. We were both single parents. I was a feminist activist, health activist. She was working her way up as the first female officer in the Mercer County, New Jersey correction system. So she was paving a way for women, although, again, she didn't see that at the time. Uh Um, And we started talking with each other about our lives. Oh, and I was becoming lesbian, which I couldn't tell my parents because of violence between them. And um, so... We were both lonely and we both needed to talk and, and we understood that we could talk with each other more openly. And that's when we started to become friends. And then I uh-huh. would say that the next, the next step was the next 30 years when uh, I kept learning through the white privilege movement, through reading a whole lot by, of, of fiction and nonfiction by African-American writers. I was very motivated to see what I'd been taught not to see as a white girl meeting Mary for the first time. So I really did a study 
and um, and uh, and I made so many mistakes uh, saying things to Mary that that I didn't even know were hurtful. You know, microaggressions and. Uh, uh, what would you call one of? What would be uh, one of those things? I'm sorry. What was one of those well, things that yeah, you no, could that's share? Great. That's a great question. Um, so at one point, uh, my parents were not wildly happy that Mary and I started spending so much time together. And uh, mm. uh, uh, at the end of one of our walks, this is in the book, at the end of one of our walks on the beach at night, we had to walk at night because um, she was allowed there really only serving white people in the daytime. Uh, it was an exclusively oh, okay. white beach. And um, so we were walking at night and um, I said, you know, my mother really just wants me to spend time with my friends. And I suddenly realized that that statement implied that she wasn't my friend. And it's a small thing, but that's the thing about microaggressions. If she was getting the message over and over that she was less important than the white Mm -hmm. people she served, and I say this casual thing, my mother wants me to spend more time with my friends, it's, it, the impact is heightened because she's receiving this message over and over and over. And I immediately, I got it, and I started trying to backtrack. I said, well, mm-hmm. you're my friend, too. I was, it was terrible. It was, it was like, mm-hmm. and I, reg- I regretted it because I, I imagined that it was hurtful. So that's an example of a microaggression. It might look well, it sound little to you as a white person, but in fact, it adds. It just it's cumulative. It adds to the messages that are so negative and so toxic. That's in, it, it, the whole thing is interesting. Um, when I really realized who I would be interviewing today, I said I'm going to be I'm going to be interviewing a white woman talking to us about her recognizing the privilege that she has. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. with me being a fair-skinned African-American, I was caught between the perception of having privilege and realizing I really don't have it. And so in my community, yeah, so I mean, so by the time I get to white people, I've had so much within my community that what you Mm -hmm. would say probably would miss me because I'm already hearing it in my community. So the color of your skin affects how people perceive you and what they think that you have the right to do. And in your position, that's, that was your right. You know, that was the privilege and that was the understanding. But in my community, me me being fair skinned doesn't make me better. It doesn't get me more stuff. (laughs) They, they tell me, Oh, well you, you could get anyone you want. Well, not with everyone thinking like this, I can't, you know, or, you know, so, so yes. yeah, the, yes. I could see the microaggressions, but I've seen it a lot in my own community. So I do yes. want, yes. I do wonder, um, I, I do wonder how many times I've encountered microaggressions in that way when, you, when now that we're talking about it. Now, you and her mm-hmm. talked about making a book before this book came along. So what was yes. it that you guys thought was going to be, what was the book going to be about in your imagination then versus what it actually is now? That's a great question. Um, so Mary's the one who suggested the book. Uh, we were on the beach one night walking one summer uh, a ways into our Becoming More Friends, and um, she said, we should write a book together about our friendship. No one would believe it. 
And then mm-hmm. we decided it would get us on Oprah. I don't know if that was the year that Oprah first started doing her amazing show. So we, mm-hmm. we laughed about that and said, well, what are we going to wear on I Oprah? Her. But um, it, it, we didn't. The book took 30 years to write because it was, uh, there were many obstacles. Uh, Mary, uh, it turns out Mary was working incredibly hard. She had no discretionary time. She would, did not think of herself as a writer. And um, so I just marched in and start, started interviewing her and listening and uh, writing various versions. And each time uh, a version, I would think it was done, I would realize, I would start listening, for instance, to the people who talk about white privilege and, and, mm. and t- being more accountable about that. Or I'd listen, I'd, I would read... Ta-Nehisi Coates' amazing work on the case for reparations and um, uh, oppression around housing and redlining and um, the wealth gap and all of that. And each time I learned something new, I'd realized that the book wasn't done yet. And um, finally, in the last couple of years, in the last three or four years, we started texting. And that's where Mary found the writer in herself and had time for it because she was retired by then. And so she would send me all these stories. And so the book just got much, much richer. And um, uh, uh, it, I started to put in some of these uh, writers who have been my teachers in print. Because uh, uh-huh. it's really important for white people not to go to their friends of color for, to be taught about racism. We need to uh-huh. learn on our own and uh, not waste our friends' precious time and energy teaching us. So I, I wanted to put some of those books in there. And, um, uh-huh. But, you know, when we finally decided it was done when she was 81 years old and I was 77, and we thought, we're not going to have any more years to change this book. So let's just put this <laughs> one out, and that's what we did. <laughs> I know our time is wrapping up. I would love to have you be on This Needs to Be Said Again as a guest because you have – so much, and I would love to meet Mary if she's open to it. We're speaking oh, with the author. Yeah. We're, we're speaking with the author of These Walls Between Us, Wendy Sanford, and Mary had a lot of input on this book, um, what you just shared, and of course what I've researched before the interview. Where would you like for people to pick up your book, These Walls Between Us? Thank you, Catherine. Uh, it's for sale wherever books are sold, both online and in bookstores, and also uh, libraries can order it. So that's a great way to, to you know, to read awesome. it yourself and then make sure other people get to read it. And I'm hoping people will just uh, read it and talk about it, you know, and maybe in book groups. And these because conversations we all bring going, our own yeah. stories. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I think that's good. So much success to you. I wish um, for your tour. Thank and I want to talk with you again. You're welcome. Okay, Have a super thanks. day. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to This Needs to be Said. I hope you've gained something from what has been shared. Send me your comments and show ideas through the website at tntbsmedia.com. I'd love to hear from you.